Okay, just try it. Take one. Hello friends, and welcome back to the wonderful world of mixology, the podcast where we discuss, discover and analyse the mono and stereo differences on classic albums from the 60s. And today we're continuing on with our look at the Beatles, more commonly known as the White Album from 1968. Last time on the show we looked at disc one and obviously today we're going to be taking a look at disc two and we're also going to be taking a look at the two non-album cuts released at the same time from the sessions Hey Jude and Revolution. Now this second disc of the Weiss album is a little bit different to the first one in that it gets a little bit weird and a little bit darker although those elements are obviously in the first half of course but we've also got a couple of tracks that are going to be quite breezy to look at because there's one or two fold downs on disc two but you'll find out what those are when we get to them. We've also got a little bit of a conspiracy in the track listing by myself, so keep an eye out for that. It's something that might change your perspective on one of the most divisive tracks on the album. And, of course, we're going to be starting with Birthday, a great rock and roll track that kicks off the second half of the album perfectly. And I'm a huge fan of the 2018 remix as well, but we're not going to be talking about that today. Interestingly, the original stereo mix is very similar to Obladiobladá in that it was bounced from a 4-track to an 8-track, therefore making the main backing track a mono reduction, and as a result it replicates that same mixing style as Obladiobladá with the panned vocals and the mono backing track. However, this time, the vocals and the percussion that is in the same channel is double-tracked, making it for a slightly more engaging listen. But, as a result, there aren't too many differences between the two. Let's hear a little bit of the track in mono and then stereo, just so you can get a feel for how these mixes do differ. Starting, of course, with the mono. over to the stereo. As is pretty much the norm on this album, the end of the track, the feedback tail fades a bit earlier in mono and cuts to the next track, Year Blues, earlier as a result. We're going to play that first in stereo so you can feel the longer difference, and then mono where things are a lot quicker and pass you by sooner. And again, in mono. Two, 
Now with Year Blues, we get quite a few interesting differences that will be reflected later on in a similar sense with Helter Skelter, and that's probably because of the way the rockier tracks are mixed. First of all, the counting on the mono mix is placed louder as opposed to the stereo, although this was obviously a chosen difference, as the track it's assumedly on would then have been mixed up as a result. The vocal in mono then proceeds to immediately have a delay on it, whereas in stereo it's dry until the first chorus bridge section? I'm not entirely sure, but we'll get to that in a second. As a result, the mono sounds all around grittier and gives more of the vibe of the small cupboard that the band were recording the track in, as opposed to the stereo, which feels more like the line-in recordings of the band, as opposed to getting the ambience of that room. Here's the start of the track with the counting in mono first, and then I'll play it again in stereo so you can get a feel for the differing vibes. And again, in stereo. Now, as I said, on the My Mother Was Of The Skyline, the delay enters on the vocal in stereo, but the mono still feels heavier with more of a flange effect going on as a result of the delay being mixed up. Here that section is in stereo first, and then again in mono where the effect is even more pronounced. Girl, you know the reason why. And again, in mono. Once we reach the solo, as was pretty common on Beatles recordings, there's a snare overdub to thicken out the sound, but in stereo this sticks out like a sore thumb, whereas in mono it just feels like there's more of an emphasis being placed on the drum itself. Here it is in mono first, and then I'll move into the stereo so you can feel it really just suddenly pop out. Stereo. 
Here's an interesting one. At the fade out, the mono is a whole 11 seconds longer and the stereo fades to total silence while the mono once again cuts directly to the next track. I'll play the whole thing in stereo first so you can get a feel for that transitional pause and then again in mono where things go for longer and then jump straight into Mother Nature's Sun. and again in mono. Like many of the softer songs on the album, Mother Nature's Son doesn't differ too much between its mixes. Right at the beginning, and you may have noticed this but you may have not, in mono there's a little crumble at the start, I don't really know how else to describe that, but it's right as the track begins and you would miss it if you weren't looking for it like I was. Here it is in stereo without the crumble, and then mono with the crumble. Mono. And of course, let's highlight the differences between the main body of the track. Here's a section of it in mono, moving in to the stereo. Stereo. And of course, at the end, the mono mix cuts to everybody's got something to hide much quicker than the stereo does. Here it is in mono first, and then in stereo. And again, in stereo. Interestingly, for one of the rockier tracks on the album, this track does not differ greatly between its two mixes. However, at the start of the outro, there are multiple screams by John in the double-tracked vocal, and the balance between them feels different between both mixes. I've seen it noted that some of them are absent in mono, but when I was paying close attention on listening, they all seem to be there, just some are buried a lot more than others. Here that is in stereo first, and then again in mono. And again in mono. 
And joy of joys for continuity, the mono fades a little longer and it cuts directly into Sexy Sadie, whereas the stereo seems to come to a complete fade. Here it is in mono first, followed by the stereo. And again in stereo. Now here's a difference I've seen mentioned quite a few times and then we're going to move into another difference in the same breath that isn't mentioned quite as often. Now in the intro there's a tambourine hit twice in stereo but in mono it's only hit once with the first one missing. And then once the vocal comes in the bass enters immediately in stereo but in mono it fades up just after the words sexy sadia first said. Here that whole intro and bass entrance is in stereo first with the extra hit and immediate bass entrance and then again in mono minus that tambourine hit and with the slightly faded up later bass. And again in mono. Once again at the outro, the stereo fades completely and the mono is longer and cuts immediately into the start of our next beast, Helter Skelter. Here it is in stereo first and again in mono. And again, in mono. Now, Helter Skelter is a very interesting beast between its two different mixes. So we're going to try and break down all of these here. But the real way you're going to need to hear these differences is to compare the two mixes for yourself. But hopefully we can cover everything here. The first thing to note is that the opening guitar, relatively speaking, is louder in the mono. But once Paul's vocal comes in, it appears to be mixed at a higher level and therefore the compression pushes the guitar down. Although of course this could be turned down in the mixing process as a chosen decision. 
Either way, Paul's vocal stands out more at this stage in the mono mix as opposed to the stereo, where it's a bit more naturally balanced, but this proves to be at the mono's benefit as the track moves along. I'm going to play that intro for you in stereo first and again in mono before we move into where the main band kicks in. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. And again in mono. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. Where I stop and I turn and I go for a ride. Till I get to the bottom and I see you again. Now Interestingly in this track, there appears to be two drum mixes. The main one, panned right in the stereo, keeps the beat and plays along. While in stereo as well, there's another track panned off to the left, which is treated to a large amount of delay and echo, and appears to be doing more fills than the other one. In stereo, this is mixed very low, and you'd be hard pressed to notice it if you weren't listening for it. In mono, these two tracks appear to be balanced at the same volume, and therefore the drums have much more of a delay effect on them. One of my favourite ways to produce a snare drum sound, with the drums almost sounding like they're a tumbling wall of bricks. I absolutely love it, and it sounds absolutely devastating, and I love it. So, here that sound is in stereo first, keep an eye out for what's in the right channel and the left channel, and then we'll move to the mono with that devastating drum sound. Throughout the track, the backing vocals appear to be variably louder in mono, but a key point of this is in the second verse. Here it is in stereo, and then we'll play it again in mono, where they're absolutely mixed right up like they're a lead vocal by comparison. Into mono. Now at the end of this little solo section, there's a bit of a squeaking going on in the stereo mix and it's panned off to the left. In mono, the squeaking does appear earlier like it does in stereo, but at the end, it's completely absent in the mix, strangely. Here it is in stereo first, and pay attention to that left channel, and then again in mono where it's completely absent. And again in mono. Now at the end of the next verse, under the You Ain't No Dancer line, there is a da 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 backing vocal which appears a few times but there's a higher harmony vocal throughout the rest of the track but in stereo it appears to be missing here while in mono it's definitely there. Here it is in mono first sounding as you'd expect it and then again in stereo where it's more of a da da rather than da da. So mono first then stereo. But you ain't no dancer. 
again in stereo. Now, this breakdown section is where the track just takes a nosedive in mixed differences. With the stereo kind of having that guitar going and some noises in the background, and then once it kicks back in, the whole band comes in with the drums and there's all this noise going on and it really thunders, thunders along. In mono, once it goes down to that guitar, there is nothing going on in the background and it kind of fades out and then the drums bring it back in all on their own. I prefer the mono in this regard because of the way it brings it back in a more natural and organized sense, but I do love the absolute cacophony of the stereo at this point. So here's that section first in mono and then again in stereo. And again, in stereo. And here's a real noteworthy difference on the album. Obviously, you're very familiar with the way the stereo fades out, fades back in, and you get the classic Ringo line at the end, there's blisters on my fingers. And while it's been debated if that's John or Ringo, it's definitely Ringo because the way the track is panned and just the way it sounds with the room mics and all that jazz. However, in mono, when the track fades out the first time, it simply doesn't come back in. So what I'm going to do is play how the track ends in mono, and then I'm going to play that section again in stereo, just so you can really feel that difference if for some reason you've only ever heard the mono mix in your life. And for me, it's the one I'm now most used to. So, mono first, and then stereo. And again, in stereo.
Closing out side three, we get the third George Harrison composition on the album, Long, Long, Long. And the lead guitar figure that plays in the centre channel, rather mutedly, but definitely as a key part, is mixed a little higher in mono, but in stereo it has more of a delayed treatment on it, whereas in mono it's completely dry. Here's a section of that in mono first, and then again in stereo. And again in stereo. Something that's quite interesting about this track is that it's often noted that the double tracking is off in mono compared with the only slightly sloppy stereo. But when one really listens to the track, it's quite interesting. It's not double tracked. It's actually that there's a kind of double echo going on the track. But in stereo, this goes off to the right first and then the left. In mono, obviously, this is all combined to one channel, making it sound like a much messier vocal echo effect as opposed to the stereo which gives it more of a space feel and you don't really hear it as double tracking in the same way meaning that it's not actually a difference but we're going to analyze the way it feels different just for the purpose of this here it is in stereo first and pay attention to where those echoes sit if you like and then again in mono where everything is folded down and makes it a bit messier as a result And again, in mono. drums which are panned off to the right in stereo form these rather large and gigantic drum fills that are really a key highlight of the track but in stereo these have more echo on them making them sound bigger and even more devastating when compared with a slightly smaller sounding but still pretty heavy mono here's one of those in stereo and then we'll play it again in mono and again in mono. Now there's two differences I'm going to kind of do back to back for you and that is at the end of the track when the bottle starts rattling on the organ and obviously things get a bit weird and chaotic. Under that bottle in the stereo mix there is a clonk which isn't heard in the mono mix I can't identify it anywhere in there and then as it comes along there's a bit of a Ah, vocal that comes in and in mono this is much more buried in the mix whereas in stereo it's upfront and clear as day here's a large chunk of that so you can hear both in stereo first with the clonk and louder r and then the mono where the clonk is absent and the r is mixed more in the background as an effect shall we say
and again in mono. And to finish off this side, the final drum hit holds for longer in mono where it fades much sharper in stereo. Here it is in mono first and then again in the sharper stereo. Stereo. The final side of the album, which is one of the more interesting ones shall we say, features a couple of tracks that we're going to breeze through due to the very nature of how they've been mixed. Starting with Revolution 1. Now, I'd sometimes read it was a fold down, but the mix always sounded pretty good, so I wasn't too sure. But once I started comparing it, and the fade outs as well, it became very clear that Revolution 1 is indeed a fold down, so we don't need to cover that here. For those that don't know because they haven't listened to maybe other episodes and are pretty new to it, a fold down is where you take the stereo mixer a track and simply combine the two channels to make the mono mix. Often this isn't done because it puts things out of balance with the center channel being increased by three decibels, but it is often done because of, well, expediency, sometimes mixing challenges, which we'll get to in a bit. And sometimes it does just work. And here is one of those examples because I'd never thought it was a fold down before this point. But as we move into the second track of side four, Honey Pie, we get another dedicated mono mix, of course. Now during the intro, there's a scratchy vinyl sort of acetate effect to give Paul's vocal a little old timey feel. And the scratchy sound itself comes in a little earlier in stereo than it does in mono. Pay attention to how soon it comes in after Paul's first line I play you in each clip. And you may well notice the difference. So here's the mono first with it coming a little later and again in the stereo where it comes earlier. North of England way Now she's hit the big time In the USA And again in stereo North of England way Now she's hit the big time Here's another classic difference on this album. At the end of the solo, there's a guitar part that gets muted as I assume it wasn't very popular at the time. And in mono, this is there for all to see, but in stereo, it gets faded down to the distance for the first little bit of the lick, and then the last bit is completely absent. One would assume it's probably the room microphone picking up that first bit, but I might be wrong. I'm not entirely sure where it's tracked, and for some reason I haven't checked but we don't need to worry about that for the purpose of the mix. Here it is in mono first with the guitar part there, and again in stereo where it's mixed out. And again in stereo. Yeah. I like the light. Ooh, uh. 
As always, the cut to Savoy Truffle, the next track, is much quicker in mono than it is in stereo. Here it is in mono first, and then the lengthier stereo. And again, in stereo. Savoy Truffle, one of my wife's favourites on the album and George's fourth track here, has a couple of differences that unfortunately make my wife quite upset at the mono mix. In the second chorus there's a very screechy guitar that's panned off to the right hand channel and weirdly after the first one it gets faded right down in mono. Here it is in stereo first where it's very obviously there and again in mono where it gets mixed out. And again, in mono. Now, this similar sounding guitar, which is used for the solo, appears after the solo, more so in mono than it does in stereo. It gets the first screech in stereo, then is mixed out. But in mono, it gets an extra screech that isn't in the stereo, but is assumedly a little bit of a mistake. Here it is in stereo first without the extra screech and then in mono where you get the double screech. And again in mono. Now, the final verse has a rather distant sounding organ in the mono mix, but the feel of this is completely absent in stereo. So, take a little listen to the stereo, see if you can hear an organ droning away in the background in a spacey way, and then again in mono. And again in mono. Interestingly, the edit into the next track, Cry Baby Cry, is very close between the two mixes, as close as you're going to get editing with tape. And I'm guessing that's because of the way that the tracks are edited to kind of come in on the beat afterwards, which is very smooth and a great little effect. Listening to Cry Baby Cry, the mixes were very close, but what really struck me about it is this is a natural evolution of tracks by John, such as I and the Walrus, but it's one I feel often gets forgotten about by myself, but really stands up in that vein. I don't really know why I forget, but I guess because it's buried away on side four here that I don't really crack it out all that often, but I did thoroughly enjoy it when I was listening to it for this pod. However, what is notable between two mixes is that the stereo has a consciously moving lead vocal between the verses and the chorus, panning off to one side and then into the center respectively. Just so I can cover all the bases here, I'm going to play you a section of the track in stereo first and then move it into the mono just so you can get a feel for how these mixes do sound different but are also very close. Stereo, then mono. Into mono. In the playroom, painting pictures for the children's holiday. 
Now here's where things get very interesting. It's usually assumed that the end of this track has the little sample of Paul singing his little ad-lib, shall we say, Can You Take Me Back? Now one would, as I say, usually assume it is part of Cry Baby Cry, but when I was analysing it, I noticed that the edit into Revolution 9 was exactly the same between both mixes, implying in reality that it's actually edited as part of Revolution 9 and then spliced onto the end of Cry Baby Cry. What gives more credence to this idea is that Can You Take Me Back and Revolution 9 unfortunately for you as a listener but very fortunately for me are both complete fold downs implying that really they're actually strewn together as one and the talking at the start of what is assumed to be revolution 9 isn't actually the start of revolution 9 but paul's can you take me back was always intended as a start and a transition into meaning that paul does actually contribute something to revolution 9 in this idea shall we say as opposed to it being something that John and George were more in on by comparison. It's an interesting thought and changes the way that one might see the track and I'm probably just wrong with my assumptions here but it's a nice little one by default and the fact that Revolution 9 is a fold means that I don't have to pull my hair out going through it because the track itself as I'm sure you're familiar with was more a performance in its mix than anything so the panning the fading up and down of effects was the performance and that couldn't be replicated between two distinct mixes so it had to be folded down and the effect still works but obviously the stereo is a little more nauseating and has more going for it i've listened to this track more than most as i'm not one to skip over it but i find it definitely more engaging in stereo but also less offensive in mono if you're not feeling in the vibe for it. But let's move on now, shall we, to the rather grandiose and dramatic closing track, Good Night, written by John as a lullaby for his son Julian, and clearly intended for Ringo to do the vocal delivery as one would expect. It's very much in his wheelhouse. And interestingly, the start of the track fades up gradually in stereo, but in mono, it starts almost immediately. And while you can hear the start of it in stereo at the same point, it doesn't have that same rise in mono that it does in stereo. So let's hear that start in mono first with the immediate effect, and then again in stereo where it gradually appears to you. And again in stereo. The track itself doesn't differ too much between the mixes, but the stereo is definitely preferable here because the way the orchestration is obviously recorded is in true stereo and it feels obviously a lot more natural. Let's have a little sample of that just so you can really get to grips with that, shall we? Here it is in mono first and then opening up into stereo. Into stereo. Into 
And at the end of the track, we have a gentle fade in stereo, whereas the mono just ends with the end of the performance, shall we say. Here it is in mono first, and then the more gentle stereo. And again, in stereo. And with that, we've reached the end of the album, but have we reached the end of the sessions? No, we have not. We've got two more tracks to have a little look at that were recorded within the sessions for the album, but were ultimately put to one side as intended for single use. The first of these is the classic Hey Jude, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, as is the rest of the human race at this point. The two mixes were not done at the same time, with the stereo being done a couple of years later for what became known as the Hey Jude album in America, and then a very popular import and then later pressing in other countries. The single itself was only issued in mono in 1968, but interestingly, recorded at Trident, the mono mix was actually made as a fold down of a stereo mix that still has not been released to this day. And I don't know why this wasn't used in the Hey Jude LP, but it makes another thing that we'd like to dig out one day. But for now, what we're going to focus on is that the drums and the stereo mix are seemingly louder than the mono, which would imply that this is a result of the folding nature of the mono mix. Here's a section of the track in mono first, and we'll move it into the stereo, and notice how the drums just feel a little bit more ping-pongy and in-your-face over in one of the channels, as opposed to the centralised and slightly more muffled mono. Into stereo. Remember to let her into your heart, then you can start to make it better. The rest of the track is identical between the two mixes, except for the end of the fade. In stereo, it's faded a little earlier, but in mono, we get a few interesting tidbits at the end. You can hear Ringo move into double time, and you can hear the bass enter in what appears to be the bass line that comes in during the fade out in the Love remix, which answers a lot of questions I had been asking, and by a lot I mean that very one, where did that bass line come from? So I'm going to start with the stereo, and then, in a way I haven't done for a little while, move into the mono at the key moment. Mono. And we're going to finish off this episode with an absolute classic example of why for the 45s the mono really does dominate my preference and that is with the great, great track Revolution. 
John would later describe the remix done for the Hey Jude LP as ice cream by comparison, and he's not joking. The mono was recorded with obviously the guitar directly injected into the desk, and obviously that is still used in the stereo, but in mono to give it more of a grit and to make it even louder, they added a load of distortion on top of the actual mix, giving the whole thing a grittier sound. And by comparison, the stereo being more naturally sounding, if you like, kind of like Year Blues, as I mentioned earlier, takes away all that grit and just the veracity of the mono. Also as well, in stereo, the vocals sound utterly naked, giving it quite a limp feel by comparison. Here is a section of the track in mono first, and then we'll move to the limp stereo. <laughs> Stereo. You tell me that it's evolution. Well, you know, we all want to change the world. And to finish us off, at the end of the fade in stereo, there's a tiny bit of noodling right at the end, which is absent in mono, which obviously has a more succinct and intended fade, as opposed to the stereo remix done without any consent of the group. Here it is in mono without the noodling, and again in stereo with said noodling. And again in stereo. And with the Beatles noodling away there, we've reached the end of not only this episode of Mixology, but the Mixology look at the Beatles, more commonly known as the White Album. A mouthful that I have bestowed upon myself. I could have said White Album the whole time, but I'm a stickler for these things, I suppose. But either way, we spent all this time in 1968, and what a trip it's been. We've had some pretty wild differences between both discs of the album. We've had a couple of fold downs, we've had some pretty similar mixes, it's a real mixed bag. And as for which mix of the album I prefer, for the most part I am going to go with the mono, but the stereo at some times is no slouch and in the case of tracks like Goodnight does reign superior. So one really needs both, as I will always argue on this show, let's be honest, although there's probably a few instances where both aren't always needed. But that's besides the point. But beyond that, remember, you can get in contact with the show at backtomonoradio at gmail.com. You can find a link for that email down in the show notes, as well as a link to our Facebook group if you wish to join in and look there for updates and other things such as that. I am putting the final touches on a little Patreon for both podcasts if you wish to support it, with a few little exclusives going in there, but we'll detail those once it goes live. And beyond that, thank you very, very much for listening. Be sure to share about if you haven't already and let anyone know. And above all, whoever you are and wherever you are, have a great, great day. (laughs) 